This is Corolla Digital. Hello, my little toner cartridges. It's me, Allison. Before the show officially starts, a few words. I believe it was <clears throat> about one month ago, <laughs> exactly, maybe 28 days ago or so, that uh, I disgusted Gary, but you know, talked to some of you guys, reached many of you, I'd say, with some news about how I'd have a, had a really heavy flow after a meeting, and it was horrible. And um, and so now here I am in this predicament once more. And today I was thinking, why is it not socially acceptable to just tell people you're having a heavy flow day, hence everything needs to be adjusted because everything's going to take longer and you're not going to be in a good mood. And like I had a meeting earlier and I needed to use the bathroom when I got there. And I also wanted to use it before I left and got in my car because who knows what kind of mess could be created with traffic. But I didn't want to be that person who's like, hi, I just met you and I'm using the bathroom. I'm sandwiching this meeting with trips to the bathroom. So I think what needs to happen is either we all need to adjust to my periods and the fact that um, all of us have them, usually women, or even though there's already a lot of Starbucks, there needs to be more so that there can be a bathroom pretty much everywhere I go. Or I need to conduct all my business at Starbucks. And to anyone who's going to be like, oh, nice plug for Starbucks, um, just because I mention a product does not mean I'm receiving money from them. I wish it did. Anyway, this has gotten away from me. It's because there's a little frog in my throat and it's distracting me. Hang on. <clears throat> Having that kind of day. I believe we have an iTunes comment of the week. Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. All right, this, this week's iTunes comment of the week comes from Deanne Weimer, and it's titled, Bring on the Carbs. Allison is hilarious. It is inevitable that I will laugh out loud at least a handful of times with each and every podcast. She is so quick-witted and just too cute. Oh, thank on, you. On that note, I have one small request, that she bring back the cutesy random carbohydrate audience greeting at the beginning of each podcast. There are so many more clever carbs that could be used to nickname the listeners each week than office supplies. Plus, that was just her thing, you know? It's fun to be called a blueberry muffin, a cake pop, or a crumpet. Much more fun than a mechanical pencil. Oh, you're right. Can we go back to the carb diet, please? Either way, I will not stop listening to A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. The nickname welcome thing is not terribly important. I enjoy Allison more than anything and will continue to tune in each and every week no matter what. Thank you, Allison, for always keeping a smile on my face. Well, I love you. Thank you. I think you're right. For people who are like, what are you talking about, who are still listening, um, I used to address people as carbohydrates. And then I thought with the new year, why not, why not change it up? But I, maybe I fixed something that wasn't broken because first I was calling people meat names, quickly ran out of meat, and now I'm on to office supplies. But it's not as much fun thinking about office supplies. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I will take this under consideration and also under advisement. And I think it's uh, time for Fan Phone Call. I believe we'll be talking to Donnie. Hello? Hello, Donnie. Hello? Hello? Donnie, it's Allison Rosen from Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. Hello? I have a frog in my throat and I have my period. It's kind of a heavy flow day. I don't think you can hear anything I'm saying. This is a wonderful fan phone call. I'm glad we were able to connect. I was going to ask you some things about your life, 
but I guess I won't be able to. I think you just hung up. Oh, boy. Oh, well. Hello, Donnie. Thank you so much for listening to my show. Is there anyone special in your life? What's your favorite condiment? What do you do in your in your daily life? What are you working on? What are your goals and dreams? This is frustrating. Uh, maybe it could be. Oh, wait. Hello? I was in but maybe it's not. No, it is. Can you hear me? I guess I'll hang up now. Okay, bye. <laughs> Have a good day. Okay, bye. Oh, my God. I'm really glad we had a chance to talk to him. I say, uh, Gary, should we just move on, (laughs) given the time? Or should we try someone else? As far as you know, the phones are working. Yes, that was on Donnie's end, right? Yes. Uh, All right. I think we're going to be calling Renee. Hello. Hi, is this Renee? Oh, my God. Allison. Hello. Yes. You knew it without me even having to say. Hello. Thank, thank you for calling me. Thank you for answering. How's it going? going Hello? What's going on? Well, we're just doing some fan phone call. What's going on with you? I'm actually still working. You are? Where do you work or what do you do? I actually work from home. Um, I do medical record coding. That sounds super exciting. No, not really. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that like, yeah, what does coding medical records well, mean? Well, when you like go to the doctor and you get the paperback, the little bill mm-hmm. um, at the doctor's office, and it has a um, number at the bottom with your diagnosis, Oh, f- I kind of do that on a major scale for a hospital. Oh, now, does this have to do with insurance companies? Well, no, I don't really work. Uh, well, they use the coding, I guess you could say. Right. Um, you know, to do their statistics and if they're going to pay or not pay. But I actually work for the hospital um, trying to get paid for Medicare. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. It's really just reading medical records. It's like reading uh, a medical short story every five minutes. <laughs> But um, but not good short stories, right? Like we're not talking O. Henry. <laughs> no, nothing like that. But sometimes it's like a little medical mystery, trying to figure out what is wrong with this patient. Ooh, you're like House. Kind of. Or like Murder, She Wrote in bad case scenarios, worst case scenarios. <laughs> well, that's cool that you can work from home, though. Yeah, it's a great commute from <laughs> my bedroom to my office. And And where do you live? Where are we reaching you? Um, I actually live in uh, northeastern Oklahoma, huh. uh, Lake Hudson. I actually live on a lake. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, great view. Mm-hmm. I've <laughs> been to, I'm trying to think where I, I've been to Oklahoma, but I can't remember where I went. So oh, this wow. is, a, I'm glad that I brought it up because this is a good conversational tangent to go on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am so happy to talk to you. I listen to you every day. Oh, thanks. Thank and my you. favorite interview was Burt Kreischer. He's very funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna do his podcast um, tomorrow. I think. Oh my gosh, he is hilarious. Who knew? I know. <laughs> I had heard, but I hadn't experienced yeah. myself until he was in front of me. I like when he laughs so hard that he kind of starts crying. <laughs> I I listen to that uh, multiple times, and I, that is my favorite interview, and it makes me laugh out loud. So. Oh well, thanks. Thank you for that. Hey, Gary. 
Hey, how's it going? It's great. I'm glad to hear it. Thanks for picking up. Hey, I've been listening to a radio station today about the guy that is out there loose in Big Bear. Yes, it's kind of scary. There was a big, on my way into the studio, there's a big billboard saying that, like, be warned, this guy's dangerous and he's on the loose. For people who don't know, there's a former cop who's a, a spree killer and he has a vendetta and he's yeah. kind of nuts and he's like a trained uh, trained sniper, essentially. That is so exciting. Nothing like that ever <laughs> happens here. <laughs> I wish I felt excited by it as opposed to just... <laughs> it, actually, I don't feel worried, but then I think maybe I, I should feel worried since... Um, it seems like we're supposed to be concerned right now, although I do think he's in Big Bear. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, but it's very it's very exciting to listen to what's going on out there. Yeah, well, it's really glamorous out here. We have all the big killers. <laughs> well, yeah, Re- you do. Yeah. Well, Renee, thank you so much um, for, uh, for picking up and for being delightful and for being nice and for teaching us about medical coding. Sure. It's. You know, it's a great opportunity. Medica- medical stuff is on the rise around here or everywhere. It's a big thing, and it's something you can do from home. I hope that everyone keeps that in mind in case their life takes them in the direction where that's something that they want to do. <laughs> Allison, you're terrific. Gary, you too. And thank you so much for calling me. You made sure. my day. Oh, good. Well, you made our day. I better get back to work. Okay. Bye, Renee. Bye, Renee. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. You know how long I would last as a medical coder? Half an hour. That sounds optimistic. No, I feel like I could get into like I feel like the the it'd be like a very like a a peak and then a valley very quickly because I'd be like, huh, I'm learning. This is hard. This is difficult. This in- requires a new skill. And then I'd be like, I don't want to attain that skill. I can't do it. I don't understand why it matters whether I write K or A, even though, of course, I understand. But I just it's it's far too detail oriented for me. And I bet since she's a podcast listener, I bet she's someone who listens to podcasts while she works, although I could be wrong, which means that she's so good at that kind of stuff that she can be distracted while she does it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, it's a different kind of brain. uh, Brain. It's a different kind of brain than I possess. All right, I need to talk to you guys about our friends over at Pro Flowers. Don't be the guy that forgets about Valentine's Day. Just don't. It's not worth it, especially when when you have fair warning in advance. It's coming up. And uh, you know what is a wonderful gift? Flowers, especially flowers from Pro... Especially flowers from Pro Flowers. Order them now so they arrive on Valentine's Day. One dozen red roses plus a glass vase, gourmet chocolates, and a plush teddy bear, all for $39.99. I want this. Dozen red roses and a glass vase, gourmet chocolates, and a plush teddy bear, all for $39.99. What more could you want? You just need my code, best friend, when you order to get this special price. It's classic, it's romantic, it's cute, it's got the bear, it's delicious because it's got the chocolates, and it's not too late to order online for delivery on Thursday the 14th. Pro Flowers are guaranteed to last a full week or your money back. And I've said before, I have Pro Flowers sitting at home on my table right now, and they are big and they're beautiful, and they've been... I don't know what they inject them with, some kind of magical flower potion, 
Not really, but it, it's amazing how long they last and how long they stay vibrant. And you'll look like a hero for planning and ordering ahead of time. Here's the only way to get this amazing Valentine, Valentine's Day deal. Call 800-PRO-FLOWERS, that's P-R-O flowers, and mention best friend. Or go to proflowers.com, click on the microphone in the top right corner, and type in best friend. That's proflowers.com, click on the microphone, and type in best friend. Order now. Order now, you guys. This deal expires on February 13th or when they run out, whichever comes first. So get on that. Also, another wonderful Valentine's Day gift is Sherry's Berries. These are so good. They're big, juicy, delicious strawberries. As big as your fist if you have a gigantic fist. They might be a little bit smaller than that, but what I'm saying is they're flowers that will make you say wow, and they're dipped in chocolate. So they're just... I feel like words are failing me. They are so good. That's how good they are. I don't have the words for them, but I'll try. Uh, There's dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate, decorative swizzle, nuts, chocolate chips, and they're all delicious, and they're all perfect, and they would make a great gift that would impress her and her friends. Um, There's no more time, though. You need to order now. Giant freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries starting at $19.99. That's over 40% savings. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in best friend. For my listeners, you can double the berries for just $10 more. They are so good, you guys. If you have not had Sherry's Berries, order them for yourself. And then also order them for someone else. But you really want to order them for you. You know what you do? Order a lot for someone else and then just... Just like eat half of them. That's what I would do. Uh, here's the only way to get this amazing Valentine's Day deal. Call 866-FRUIT-02 or even better, visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in best friend. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone and type in best friend. Don't forget about Valentine's Day, you guys. This offer ends soon, so order today. All right. One more thing, you guys. Valentine's Day is coming up, as we've been talking about, and you don't want to mess it up. Here's how to get your lady to think you are a hero and to spice things up in the bedroom. I said before, you don't want an unspicy bedroom. Go to bettersex.com and learn how to dramatically improve your sex life and make sex fun. Bettersex.com has thousands of items to add intense pleasure to your love life, including adult toys, vibrators, sexual solutions, as well as sex ed and adult DVDs, all backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. You can even check out bettersex.com to learn techniques that will rock her world. Bettersex.com has everything you need for fun sex. And if you enter friend at checkout, you'll receive 50% off any one item, get three free erotic videos and free shipping. There's also expert advice brought to you by the Sinclair Institute, America's trusted leader in sexual health. So imagine it's Valentine's Day, you go out for a romantic dinner, then you come home and then surprise, there's, you know, something that she wasn't expecting you to have gotten like a video or a toy or something. And um, it will make her, she'll be happy because you are putting attention into that part of your relationship, which if you do it right, women always appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? I trust you know what I'm saying. With a slogan like more sex, better sex more often, which is also my slogan, kind of says it all. That's the Sinclair Institute slogan. Maybe they had it before I did. So go to bettersex.com today, enter friend at checkout, and you'll save 50% off any one item. Get three free videos and free shipping. That's bettersex.com, and enter the word friend at checkout. It's a great deal. You'll turn your love life into a fun and deliciously wicked ride you've always wanted because great lovers are made, not born. said it before, I'll say it again. It'd be weird if they were born. It's too young to be a great lover. Grow into it. 
Make yourself one. Okay. All righty. Here is part one of my interview with Dr. Drew. I'm sure you guys know how I feel about Dr. Drew. I love him. So it's very exciting for me to sit down with him and get to find out the whole backstory, the whole Dr. Drew backstory, which uh, is not out there that much. I mean, I couldn't find it. And believe me, I've tried to find it. Anyway, here we go. Download part two on Thursday. I love you. everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited because my guest today is someone that I have been wanting to have on this show for so long. Someone who's quickly becoming my favorite human being. Mm. Someone who you guys know that I love. Dr. Drew. Thank you for being my new best friend. Thank you for being my new best friend (laughs) and for dropping by this little podcast. So you are actually named... David Drew Pinsky, is yes, that correct? Yes, that is correct, So there's ma'am. no Andrew. No Andrew, no, no, no. I always, as a kid, was offended by that. I get like, ugh. Yeah. People would go, they'd, they'd, do the, they'd do the Drew math and go right to Andy Ugh. and call me Andy. That's not even at all your name, and it's not a good name. No offense, Andys. No. Yeah. It's weird. I know. And then, this one more question from your Wikipedia page. I oh. noticed that you gave one of your triplets your name, yeah. your middle name. Yeah. But- did you worry that like they would oh like you've you've knighted one of no. them? No, if you notice, the other boy was David's son. Oh, isn't right. that clever? Yes, that's good. We we you listen. We had yeah, we had nine names to come up with, so we spent a lot of time. We have triplets. If you have people who don't know, and mm-hmm. so we gave each two you know two names, middle name, and uh, yeah, we right. came up with a lot of interesting names. We were. I remember. I remember. I remember where we were sitting having those conversations hour after hour with the baby, you know, beyond Jennifer and Jason books. And right. 20,000 names for babies. Yeah. Oh, wow. We thought we were so clever. Jordan <laughs> was the one we thought we were really clever with. Like, it's a, it's a strength in a river in, in, you know, in Egypt or in North Africa. Uh, no, Jordan was probably we, – we met now not just Jordans but boys and girls named Jordan mm-hmm. all over the place, wherever we went. That's th- I bring this up on the Adam Carolla show often, especially whenever we do baby name stories. I think that somehow people think, oh, here's this name. I haven't heard it in a long time. It's I love it and it's unusual. And then it turns out to be the Jennifer of that year. But think how and no weird matter, that is. It's so weird Isn't that, that we're – Yes. That, that literally – no, we're not consulting with people who are saying, hey, Big Jordan, I've heard that. Right. No, you're by yourself going, here's a name no one's naming. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a global consciousness. Weird. Yeah, right? isn't that weird? It's pretty much if you like it, then everyone does. Yeah. It's yeah. your generation, your time of history, whatever it is. Right. One, Gertrude one, would sound great. I that'll I'm sure that will come back. It has to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh Sookie is popular right now, evidently. And I don't know if it's short for like Sookford or something. Um one more name thing. When you said that people would always think your name was Andrew and they go to Andy, I have found that most people don't like the names that are very similar to yours, but a few letters off, you hate. You hate because people go to that when they go first of all, it's your first day in art class. You want to be you. You want the other kids to know you. And the teacher comes up with some name that's right. not, oh, only not yours, but yeah. Right. No, no, no. I'm not Alice. That's yeah. that's gross. I hate all Alice's. I hate them. I hate yeah. them. 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, Drew, I don't know that much about your upbringing, how Let's you got it. to where you are. Let's go. Yeah. So, where were you born? Bring it. Uh, Los Angeles at the Queen of Angels Hospital. That you know that that building up on the hill as you go on the one ten just after you come off the mm-hmm. uh, if you go off the one hundred one off the one ten. That's the, it used to be the Queen of Angels Hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you have siblings? I have a sister, six years younger. Okay. And and what was your childhood like? Uh, where do you want to start? Uh, wherever. Um, the one thing that Adam will tell you about that he gives me shit about all the time that was a major trauma is my dad was a product of the Depression. My dad was a family practitioner, mm-hmm. uh, worked a lot. He was a product of the Depression, and he transmitted all that trauma, just rained it down on me, financial trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I needed a pair of shoes or a coat or something, uh, if, if God forbid, when I was older, if I went out and bought one of my own, <laughs> forget that. But even as a kid – Because you're, like, he felt you were being frivolous with money? Well, every day, tomorrow is the end of the world. Mm. Uh, and look, we're going to buy these shoes for you. I know there's holes in those shoes and you feel the water coming in there. But, you know, I walked three miles through the snow in Chicago. And in the Depression, we had nothing. We didn't know where we were going to eat the next day. And I'm going to buy you these shoes – but tomorrow you're gonna have to come wave to me at the poorhouse. I'll be in the poorhouse, and and you it's okay. You're gonna come. You'll, you'll your mom will drive you by, and you'll just wave to me. I'll, I'll come to the window, but I'll be in the poorhouse. Right, what a martyr. I mean, every day I heard these stories about the poorhouse, and I in my you know my three year old brain I concocted this place. Yeah. And imagine I was gonna put my dad in the poorhouse. Right. It's awesome. So a awesome. lot of responsibility from just an trauma, early age. Trauma, trauma, trauma. Yeah. Gonna, tomorrow's the end. Tomorrow's the end. Tomorrow's the end. Right. And um, uh, and I, I've done a lot of thinking about – used to have this recur- – you really want to get into my psychologist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have this recurring dream about a man with co- red crosses in his eyes. It wasn't even a recurring dream. Have you ever read my, read my book, Cracked? No. No, I wrote – I write about this. I need to. And No, you don't. Yeah, no, I and, do. No, you don't. And, uh, I do. And I had this re- – it wasn't even a recurring dream. It felt like one – like shattering dream I had that where there was this – I was probably two years old in a car with my mother huddling in this car and this man – and we were stuck in traffic. like We were piled up on cars and this man, sort of a, a zombie. Strange enough, I got zero for zombies these days. <laughs> the zombie man was sort of walking. Um, he'd go up on the cars and down the other side and up and down. He'd just walk on the roofs and, and he had – for his pupils, he had red crosses mm-hmm. and there was a big white and he was trying to get us or something and it was just – and I'm and um, it's weird. I'm having a physical reaction as I describe yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, when I is this okay for your podcast? Yes, this, this is what okay. we do. Okay, we talk you do. strictly right. about your dreams. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird and, when other people don't <laughs> don't have yours, but please. And um, uh, and all through my childhood, I always whenever my parents would go out or away, I'd go. We say hi to the man with the squares in his eyes. You I, would I, say I, that. I, I wouldn't know it cross out that there were squares. Uh-huh. And uh, and they were like, the man with squares in his eyes. Yeah, yeah, go go say And they started playing along. Okay, we're going to say hello to the guy with the squares in his eyes. I don't know if that was soothing me or something. Yeah. And um, I couldn't – it was very – I had a lot of post-traumatic stress symptoms growing up and anxiety and blah, 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 mood stuff. Mm-hmm. And I could never – I always thought that dream was just some sort of excessive – I just thought it was a dream. How old uh, were you when you had it? Probably two. Uh, and uh, and I, rem- I I'm not putting together the history that well right now, but 
Wow, am I getting anxious telling the story? It's weird. Uh, and I remember in college, I was looking for a place to live in Boston, and uh, I had a. Uh, we were driving by somewhere, we're like in Cambridge, and I saw a 1950s style ambulance. And if you, they were sort of like vans mm-hmm. back then, and they were all white with a red cross on the side, right? Like you'd see in like a almost like an army movie. And I saw that van, and I had like a physical reaction. I almost like went to the ground, mm. and I thought, "Oh my god, that's somehow that figures into that dream." Well, maybe it wasn't a dream. Maybe it was some sort of memory. Oh. And and then I started. Then I went to therapy and stuff, and started putting these pieces together. As near as I can tell, what that was was when I was probably less than one. My mother was a very dramatic person. She was an opera singer and not. Um, had a miscarriage and hemorrhaged in our house. Uh, we were living in Alhambra at the time, <laughs> lovely Alhambra. And uh, and I started having memories of being out on the lawn and seeing the lights and my mother being carted away by the right. van. And, um, and the guy I think they handed to me, the guy in the dream looked like a good friend of theirs back then. A guy, I know his name. Mm-hmm. And I think they handed me off to him. Did you check with them? Did you ever? No, I never. Because no. they wouldn't even remember, I don't think. Um, and God knows what that guy did to me or mishandled or who the hell knows. Mm-hmm. You know, while they rush off and <laughs> drama, drama, drama off right. into this ambulance and the baby is left there with some dude. Yeah. Uh, I think something might have happened there because uh, I had a lot of post-traumatic stress type symptoms mm-hmm. all my life. What and, what kind of symptoms? Anxiety, panic attacks, depression, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Do you still have panic attacks? No. How that, how did you get on top of that? Well, they started when I, I started having those when I was nineteen in college, and uh, they were, oh, oh my god, are they bad? And uh, maybe maybe we'll have one today for you though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so I, I don't. No, no, calm down. <laughs> Go to a happy place. Although I do. If is it better if we don't talk about the panic attacks? No, no, no. no okay. well, if I have one, I I, I finally um, I, I had them. I thought I was going crazy. I, I knew enough to go to sort of the mental health services at college. What, what, what were the circumstances of your first one? Do you remember? I'm, I'm not really remember. I'm remembering. I can't remember. I, okay. I, I was. I remember. I uh, <laughs> here's the comedy. I uh, was in college, my second year of college. I, I really got lost after my freshman year of college. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm going to be a I don't know, an artist. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh-huh. Left college, came out here, oh, wow. goofed around, went back to college, was doing plays. It was John Proctor in The Crucible. <laughs> <laughs> I love The Crucible. Yeah. And I think I had a panic attack during a like a rehearsal or something. Okay. I went home and had trouble functioning and actually took myself to like – I think I took myself to an emergency room or something. Mm-hmm. I said, I know this – I think I'm having a seizure or I'm something Right, wrong. because when they happen, yeah, they, you, it, feel you think like, you're going to die. But I kind of knew enough that it was mental healthy. Yeah. And then I went to the mental health depart- the thing and was sort of mishandled for a long while. Uh, it, just mis- what did they think was well, going on? No, they knew it was panic. Well, they never told me really, but mm-hmm. I kind of put it together. And um, when I would have bad episodes, it, and it sort of went from panic to generalized anxiety because they weren't treating the panic properly. Mm-hmm. And that can happen. You can go from panic to right. ugh, anxiety. And um, – I remember I went down to the student health services. I went from they, – they, strangely, the mental health and student health were separated by miles. Ridiculous. Hmm. 
And the, there was an old-time doctor down there going, uh, son, you need to get your act together. Take long walks in the woods. Get together. I'm going to give you this Valium tablet to take right now, but you need to get get out there and take a long walk. I'm like, right. great, a sergeant. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I would happily get over this shit if like I could, but I can't. And yeah. anyway, that went along. I think I eventually, I think what happened was uh, I made enough changes in my life and my directions and made choices and what I wanted to do, and that the things started you know one sort of block after the kind of came together. And I remember when I decided, oh, I want to go be a doctor which was eh, four months after the panic attack started maybe. Maybe it was even – yeah, probably that. And uh, by then I was already sort of putting the pieces back together and was starting to feel better. Was this after you had come out? I was back at college. You're now. back at college. Yeah, back okay. At college. And uh, I remember looking at that, the prospect of what was ahead of me as a – I just remember I had a vision of like a brick wall that went to infinity, like Jack on the Beanstalk. <laughs> and I was like, I got to climb that wall. And I'm like – all right, well, today I just start with brick one. Just start mm-hmm. going up that wall. And I, I remember that experience. Like, you know, we, the way you deal with an insurmountable task is just start where you're at. And, and what was the task at that point? Getting into medical school, doing the pre-med mm-hmm. curriculum. And I was at the end of my sophomore year in college. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it. Just one brick at a time. And uh, and as I moved up that wall, all my, all my mental health stuff settled. I was getting sort of feeling better as I went mm-hmm. along. Uh, what made you want to be a doctor? And before that, what? what well, before were you my dad was before I was always gonna be a doctor and be like okay. daddy, be like daddy, mm-hmm. be a doctor. And and then when I got to college, I did a year of pre med and I did pretty well, but I killed myself to do it. And I'm like, nope, not up for this. Mm-hmm. Too much, too much for me. And by the way, I was competing. It was Amherst College competing with really smart people. Yeah, I'd not met people that smart before. And these were the people just had you my, been like number lunch. one in your class in high school? No, I went to a private high school where I wasn't number one, but I was number top. Twenty percent for mm-hmm. sure, maybe top ten, fifteen percent. Right, and and uh, and it, you know, I had to work, but it was like, yeah, I can do this. Now it's like, oh no, no, this is a whole other. You you experience it from all. Yeah. I'm sure. There's there's a sphere that most right. people aren't even exposed to. Yeah, it's like, oh, these are the people that are going to go to medical school, not yeah. me. And uh, and of course, when you're a freshman, you feel that vividly. And by the time I was a junior, it's like, well, also the male brain kind of kicks in. Male brains don't turn on until they're about 1920. They're, they're just on the light switch off. <laughs> and, and, and to try to do really hard, rigorous studies, mm-hmm. like, no way. Because there's no. too much hormones just coursing whatever. around? Or, yeah, yeah, you're under the testosterone and stuff. And So by the time I hit my junior, I was like, yeah, I can kind of do this. I, I, I'm kind of up for this. It was hard. And I, mm-hmm. and it, I was sort of disturbed. Like, I don't know if I'm going to sacrifice my entire college experience for this and not get in somewhere. There's always anxiety provoking for that. Right. But things sort of felt better. I felt more purposeful and you know, good about things. Mm-hmm. And then did you know what kind of doctor you wanted to be? No. I didn't even know. Jesus. I, 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 the stunning thing when I hear how people don't understand what different specialties and stuff do, I think I was a third-year medical student before I understood what different specialties did. Mm-hmm. You have to actually go out and see what they do. Right. Before you, I, I, at the end of second year, I denounced I wanted to be a general surgeon. And then my first rotation was uh, like OBGYN. Then I wanted to be a gynecologist. My next rotation was neurosurgery. And then I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. And it wasn't my internal medicine rotation was the very last rotation of my third year. It's like your, your general uh, sort of your – when you go out on the wards and do things, mm-hmm. you, have, you go by specialty. And, the, and internal medicine was the very end. And, and when I got there, I was like, oh, that's right. That's why I wanted to be a doctor. This is what I wanted to do. What was what was it about it? Just that... general. I wanted to be able to do everything for anybody. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know how general – I didn't – all the different generalities I got into I never even had been exposed to or understood until much, much, much later. Right. 
So so what so your specialty is internal medicine. Okay. And that now how is that different than a general practitioner? There really isn't anything as a general practitioner where that would more to go on as a family practitioner. Right. Okay. And so a family practitioner is a three or four year residency after medical school. Same with same with internal medicine. But with family practice, you do pediatrics, obstetric gynecology, mm-hmm. and surgery. With internal medicine, you do not pick up a knife and you do not deal with kids. You're focused much more on the subspecialties of medicine like cardiology, nephrology, infectious disease, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. While they're spending time doing appendicitis, you're working on HIV. Right. In medical school, the first times that you were dealing with a cadaver or blood or like did any of that upset mm-hmm. you? Cadaver was – no, blood, no. Cadaver was a little weird. I'll tell you where. It's really interesting because we had, we had this huge room. I mean like a stadium-sized room with probably 50 or 60 bodies in it and groups of four medical students or three medical students at every body and you get your body and that's your body for that year. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And when you get them, they cover the face and the hands with like a silk cloth, like a like a cheesecloth almost. <laughs> yeah. And at first you're like, "Ah, oh, no big deal." You do the back first. We went mm-hmm. through the back and all this and you go through every, you know, millimeter of the body, you go through it. Um and I remember you don't get to the face till much later. And when they uncovered the hands, you, you get, oh, ooh. Because now it's a person? Somehow it became humanoid when you yeah. got to the hands. And that prepared you for when they unveiled the face. Because mind you, we don't look at the face until yeah. nine months in or something. Right. And then he had a face. And it's like, oh. And then you start tearing the face apart. Yeah. So it, it was, it, that was a little, a little, hmm, a little bit of a, a moment. Mm-hmm. So how did you um, start dealing with addiction? Total accident. Uh, I was moonlighting at a psychiatric hospital, and I was sort of the new highly skilled internist that could deal with sick people. And guess where all the sick people were on the drug unit? Mm-hmm. And when I got down there, there was a guy that had made the detox from drugs a discipline. And mind you, I trained at a county hospital. We were dealing with heroin addicts, alcoholics, and the withdrawal was just haphazard and no one really knew what they were doing. And they kind of had some things you'd throw at things. This guy had like a program, like a systematic way to approach drug withdrawal. And I thought, wow, I've treated thousands of addicts. No one ever told me there's a discipline to this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn this. So I became really good at detoxing people. Then people all over town were asking me to detox their patients for them. No problem, no problem. And the whole while – uh, particularly when I was on drug units, I would be like, "What's that goofy shit going on in those? Look at them! Look at that goofy psychological shit. That twelve. Look at those, that thing on the wall. The twelve step kind of not the chanting nonsense. I'm a real doctor. We do real medicine. I get people off drugs. I had no idea how to treat drug addiction. And then <laughs> you and thought it was just a physical thing. I like, didn't even give it a second thought. Like, uh-huh. what's this goofy shit? Out there? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, get your shit together and just stop hanging yeah. out with those heroin eyes. You'll be fine. <laughs> Jesus, right? And uh, Get your shit together and walk down the hill. Like yeah, the take a long you. walk yeah. like you told me. <laughs> and uh, I um, saw a couple of people who – sort of people would start asking me to follow them through their course because I didn't understand a lot of the stuff that was going on because they were borderlines. They wanted to manipulate me and work me for drugs and stuff. Yeah. I didn't understand what their motivation was. But like, all right, I'll follow. you asking me to follow. I'll follow. I saw people go from dying, young people, from dying to amazing, to better than they ever knew they could be. And I was like – Wow, what is this? I want to understand what this is. How'd that happen? And what 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 is that? What is this thing? And they and they would talk about the miracle, the program, and stuff. I'm like, oh, oh, I think I need to know this. At about that time, because I was spending a lot of time piecing medically addicts back together, a director of a program, same program, asked me to be the the assistant director mm-hmm. to kind of cover him when he's gone and stuff. 
It's like, okay. Fast forward six months, he quits. Now the assistant director is the director. And now I'm directing a chemical dependency program. So I dig in deep into the training and get the board certifications and all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's how it happened. And how did you start um, getting into entertainment? The long story. I mean, I, I like performing. I always kind of like that. You know, I was I was a singer, opera singer, believe it or not, at one mm-hmm. point for like three seconds. When was that? Uh, that was when I was goofing around doing other things. Okay. I'd actually. Well, it's funny. I contemplated it seriously for five minutes while I was in college. I tried to decide who I am, what I want to do. Yeah, because because your mom is a performer. Yeah, I, it may come in through that. But when I got to medical school. About a year in, I started thinking, I really miss singing. I, I need to have that in my life to sort of balance what I'm doing. It wasn't like I was, I'm was. i going to be a performer. It's just I kind of want that piece. And I found an amazing teacher and stayed with him most of the way through residency. And really, that was where my singing became good, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you still sing? Oh, I'm losing it. I try. My son's a really serious, accomplished musician. And I, I sat down at the piano the other day. Just because I've been embarrassed to get near a piano, he's mm-hmm. such an accomplished musician, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm losing this. This is this is his. <laughs> this is his now. Right. He can sing and play band. It's just accomplished. Um, I was never a good musician. Thank God I didn't try to do that. Um, you asked about how you got into entertainment. Entertainment. So I'm a third year medical student, or just heading into fourth year. Um, and K Rock, the radio station, is literally literally I could throw a rock to the radio station. And because we were in the sort of – and by the way, I would just like probably six months before I started listening to the radio station because it just it, – Carrick became a phenomenon in Los Angeles. I don't know if you remember back then, like yeah. overnight, like kapow, mm-hmm. 1983, all of a sudden it went from never heard of it to everybody's got to listen to this. And that was the, the new wave coming in. Right. And so I was listening and I knew it was there and people I knew because we all lived in that sort of neighborhood. We're starting to socialize with people over there and kind of knew people and that was kind of fun. And one day a guy calls me and goes – and he said, you know, I'm, I'm over there. I'm new. And these people – two guys have this show in the middle of the night where they went to the program director and realized people obsess about relationships all the time. So how about we turn the phone lines on and uh, – Lo and behold, the program director said, you know, great. Well, I've got these – the FCC's on me. We need to get – we have to have these three hours of community service. So make it a community service show and I'll give you the time Sunday night, midnight to 3 a.m. Monday morning. <laughs> Enjoy that. And they called it Loveline and they uh, – I think they did anyway back then. And uh, But they couldn't make it – they didn't know quite what they were doing in terms mm-hmm. of community service. And somebody – well, Pinsky's in medical school. Maybe he can make, you know, answer questions. And so the, I came up there and right. started answering questions. How, and you knew them just from – Hanging around, like I that's knew, how they knew to. This was a friend of mine that was hanging around with them. Okay, and he sort of went, "Hey, Pinsky's a medical school, and bring him around." Right. What did you think when you started? Well, I was like, I was freaked out at first, and I brought, I brought textbooks up. I brought my, <laughs> I brought gynecology and infectious disease textbooks. I'm carting well, my textbooks up. Yeah, and uh, and was I, I had like an epiphany in the room. I, I'll never forget being in there that night. I was like. Oh my God, this is unbelievable. They're coming here in the middle of the night on Sunday with these questions. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, guys, you need to know there's this thing we're just we just finished, we were calling it grids about three months ago. Now we're calling it AIDS. You need to know about this thing. I mean, no one was talking about it. There yeah. was sort of this weird thing going on where the sexual revolution that people have now kind of forgotten about, because it seems so matter of fact that with the world of porn and stuff. <laughs> Young people were not having sex as as far as the world was concerned. Right. And you certainly did not talk to them about it. And I was 24 
And I just come through adolescence and college. I knew what people were doing. And I could see this AIDS thing coming. I was like, you have to wear a condom, guys. The term safe sex hadn't been coined yet. Mm -hmm. HIV hadn't been isolated yet. And it was just – I just it was my sort of passion to get that out there. And uh, they – I hey, said, I just said, hey, can I come back? you mind if I come back? And they were like, yeah, come back anytime you want. So I'd kind of come back and hang out in the hall and come in and answer questions when they had stuff. And all of a sudden there was a lot of questions directed my way. So I kind of sat down. And kind of did it for free for the next 10 years, just doing what I thought was community service once a week. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Um, and did you think about – did you put pressure on yourself to not only be dispensing medical advice but keep it entertaining? No, or like, not then. No. Not at all. It wasn't actually – it really wasn't until Adam, to tell you the truth. To tell you, the, he you, was, you, he didn't, was a, you didn't second guess yourself till Adam? <laughs> right. No, no I, didn't, I didn't consider the – really the program part of it until Adam was like, hey, hey, here's how we do improv. Here's a – not only that, but yes and. Come on, mm -hmm. come on, come on. I need you. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm the, I'm the doctor. Relax. I'm the doctor part. I just yeah. do the doctor thing. No, no, no. <laughs> this – don't don't make these choices and that choices and I started listening to him. And that's when I started paying attention to things like rhythm and radio and you know what we were doing. Was that's there like 15 years in. Did you have any resistance at the beginning? Oh, yeah. The very, very beginning or with him? With him. Oh yeah, I'm like I'm the I'm a doctor. Shut up! I, I'm not the performer here. I'm a physician. He goes, Hey, you're on a show, aren't you? I'm on the show with you. Okay, start listening to me. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I don't I don't remember how it all how I got through all that, but I remember being very offended by it. Yeah, like you know, like my prep for the show is practicing medicine because I'm keeping my finger on the pulse of what's going on out there medically, and I'm going to bring that to the show. And I know how to di make it digestible for people. You worry about the entertainment. I'm going to worry about getting the information in and out that I think is important. Mm -hmm. And he would have none of that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how, so what broke you? Adam. <laughs> he just kept up with it and eventually you realized Screaming. he was right? Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, No, it was – you know how it is with Adam. You're just yeah. trying to – you're trying to survive. Right. And so it was oh, a Oh, yeah. Like it becomes thing. so unpleasant that you just capitulate. Yeah, you start capitulating and, and then you start going, oh, I think you taught me something here. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Completely lost my train of thought. Okay. So who were who were the hosts before that? It was Poor Man, yeah. right? Poor man, and then, it was Poor Man and Eagle uh -huh. and then Poor Man and Scott Mason and then Poor Man and I think Mason and Lee Albert, the attorney, and mm -hmm. then sort of Louis Largent came through there. And then finally – I always was saying this is, just a, this is a two-man thing. This is a parent-child conflict. This is two guys and finally became me and Poor Man. And that's when it really started going. You and became more poor, me and poor man became more popular all of a sudden. Right. And then when Adam – you know, you helped bring Adam in though, right? I did. I, you want to hear that story? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, he will give me zero credit for, for – mind you, for him being on the radio or anything else. Right. I had I had the sufficient wisdom to see the genius that, that <laughs> yeah. to, to, for me to hook hey, my – right place, right time for you. For me to hook his my caboose to his wagon, <laughs> to his engine, you see. Uh, it's all perspective. Uh, I was doing it with Ricky Rackman back then and um, Ricky – couldn't make a deal with the guys and, and they were like, this is Stone Stanley. They showed up onto a TV show. I'm like, all right, what's that mean? What's a TV show? How does that mm – -hmm. that sounds interesting. I was always just kind of like, all right, I'll explore that. And um, and they had a pilot sort of scheduled uh, and Ricky couldn't make a deal and I was like, all right, well, what are you going to do? And all of a sudden they, they turned to me and go, well, who do you want to do this? I'm like, I, I don't know. No one's ever – I don't know. They've always just handed me these guys <laughs> yeah. and told me to deal with them. And uh, – I went out running one day, and I remember I can show you the spot where I was and where I was running. I was running back to my house, 
And I was like, God, that guy that does Mr. Burcham, I bet he had the sensibilities for this. I bet he could do it. He'd been on the show once as Mr. Burcham. Mm-hmm. So I'd met him when I used to, he used to have a Saturday or Sunday morning show that I used to time my nursing home round so I could hear his breaks because I thought they were so funny. I thought, I bet, I bet this guy could do it. And What was it about him that, that made you think he might be good for it? I don't, can't even, couldn't even tell you back then. It was probably sort of the – it was some sensibility, like mm-hmm. speed of processing or – I'm not even sure why. You know, it, was, it was something that just caught my – I just right. thought it just there's a fittedness there. And um, they came – you know the whole story where they, they got him – he told me this. I think I do know it. Or he but was back. He was doing. He was doing of all things the MTV Video Music Award mm-hmm. coverage for K Rock in New York with Jimmy and Kevin and Bean. Right. It was, it was the, he was having the time of his life, given a per diem. I mean, he's living on living on yeah. like the high. And they call him. and They go. They want to do a film test with you. They got him for a new show. And he's like, Oh no, I, you're going to make me come back. <laughs> this I don't want to leave this. Yeah. They're not going to hire me anyway. He goes on and on. What's Mark DiCarlo doing? Can't they hire him? Right. And so they bring us. It's uh, like a Wednesday morning or something. Wednesday afternoon. They bring us in in a dark soundstage, huge soundstage, and just him and I at a table. You know, and they filmed us. And they had fake calls coming in. And it was uh, it was amazing. And uh, they're like, great, great, Adam, good job, good job. We'll we'll let you know. We'll call you. Just relax. And uh, Drew, hang on. We got something to talk to you about. Or like as though as though this was the film test. But mm-hmm. of course, I was testing with other people. They didn't want Adam to know that. Yeah. So they go, Adam. Adam, great. See you later. Bye. And so it's you know this, these big uh, sound stages have two doors. They have like like a like if you're going into a deep sea tank or something where the water is going to fill one before you go out the next door. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, he'd walked into into one door. He said. And then the other one, he kicked open all of a sudden. And you go from these dark rooms to the bright outdoor lights. And he said there was this silhouette standing in the doorway, like sort of with a bright light behind him. Mark DiCarlo coming in for the next, <laughs> coming in for the next green day. And that obviously didn't work at all. Yeah. And, uh, and they go uh, to us. You know, it was Wednesday. They go, OK, Saturday we're doing a film a pilot. And Saturday morning they bring us in. And uh, they sit us in – it's about 11 o'clock in the morning and they sit us in a booth, a makeup booth and go, uh, you guys work out your relationship. We'll start filming in two hours. And that was it. Wow. That was it. And, and I'll, I will never – what I'll never forget is at the end of that day, we filmed for like eight hours that day. It was like 9 o'clock at night. The stage director who ended up becoming our stage manager for 350 episodes of mm-hmm. Love Line on MTV, she came up and she goes, how many years you guys been working together? And we went uh, – it's, it's Saturday morning. Like, it's like <laughs> nine hours ago. We were, and she was like, What? Because like, it's been like a team that's been working. No, no, just, yeah. no, just today. So I didn't realize that the TV show came before the radio show. The pilot came before. Okay. The, and, and and as a result of the pilot, they brought Adam in with me and Ricky, because mm-hmm. it was so clearly so well, you know, it worked so well. Right. And uh, and then they kind of just became me and Adam. And when it became me and Adam, the I think the TV shows, TV show went through a few. I don't know this whole history. Well, it was originally a show for Fox. Oh, it, I didn't and, know that. and it was distributed by New World Entertainment, uh, Brandon Tartikoff's company. Mm. And uh, we cleared all the country, and uh, we were going to be on Fox at 11 o'clock at night. And at the last minute, Fox bought New World and canceled all their programming. <laughs> so we went from like we were already in production, ready to air in two weeks, canceled. And uh, <laughs> this shit happens to me all the time. It, it, I mean, it's a miracle anything you ever get yeah. anything on television. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, what? How's that? What kind of business is this? They, they hire you and make you work, and then all of a sudden they just go, "Sorry, no, no, don't need you anymore." Right. I've had that happen twenty times since, um, and uh, 
And then all of a sudden MTV picked it up and started airing it. And then we went back into production a few months later. Have you had moments where you've thought cuz you're in two, you know, you're in two yep. industries, yep. medicine over here and yep. then showbiz and show business is so like insane and capricious and just everything mm-hmm. that you just said versus medicine which I like to think is a little more predictable. like yes. least predictable. Have you ever thought why the fuck am I in this crazy one? On the other, no, I would say something different. I, I would say I was always grateful that I had the grounding and the security and the ability to head over here into medicine, mm-hmm. where where sane people live, right? And, and just head on over there and stay there. And please leave me alone. I'm practicing medicine. A year last fall, when I started doing Life Changers, now I'm doing five HLN shows a week, ten Life Changer half hour shows a week. Mm-hmm. And Love Line at Night, and Teen Mom, and Celebrity Rehab. Wow. That was last year. That was 2011 to 2012. That's when I said, you know what? I'm officially doing television. Yeah. I, I'm not- it took you that long to realize? Mm-hmm. We could have told you that. I know. <laughs> well, I, I was even more explicit for me. It was like, I'm on to my second career. Yeah. I, I'm now officially on to my second career. I'm going to shrink medicine to one day a week. I'm going to do it because I love it and I'm committed to my patients. And that's it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm officially on my second career. It is, it is television. Do you get more out of television? Do I? Or? No. I'm, I'm just beyond grateful, beyond grateful that I've been able to do all the things I have. Now it, it, it's just challenging and fun and mm-hmm. interesting. And, uh, and I've had an amazing career. I mean, to be able to practice medicine like, like a severe workaholic. I and mean, I had severe workaholism yeah. in my early decade of medicine. And then to be able to do all these interesting things alongside of it has been – I'm beyond grateful. Beyond. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what drives you in TV. I mean I think there kind of is a thing where if you're good and you can do it, like that can feed on itself of like, oh my god, I I have I have to pursue this because it's like in a weird sense like – I have the I've opportunity. Won- yeah. I, yeah. Like there's some like, – that started to me in late 90s. I was like I have these opportunities. I now have these skill sets. Let's kind of see where this goes, and it continues to be gratifying and interesting and fun. Um, I'm still driven by trying to use media to do good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just that's what I do. If we can't use it to do something good, I ain't interested in doing it. And and I'm interested in exploring all kinds of protean manifestations of that. How we can figure this out? Because it's a creative endeavor, but it's got to ultimately the day is done. You have to be able to say we did this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Now back to the crazy Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point, di- or was there a moment where you're like, "Oh wow, this guy who I thought was really funny on Bertram and who tested really well, now I have a tiger by the tail, or he's a monster, or he's in my face, or like this is not what I bargained for." I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just saying, the, you're, you're painting a picture of um, thinking he's really funny and being a fan of his, and then it worked out really well. So at some point, though, he was telling you what to do. Meaning the point, <laughs> the like, point you're at, so you're saying the point where you realize <laughs> the bloom is off the rose, as we say. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, I've known he's that way for a while now. Yeah. I'm asking for you the transit. The, was there a moment where you're like, there was not, what? A, mo- there was not no. a moment. No. Okay. Uh, no, I, I remember it being more. Well, I remember a few memories pop into my mind when when um, when you asked that. One was. How serious minded he was about the um, show, show part, which mm-hmm. I, I gave that secondary tertiary thought, and how harsh he was 
at the producers and the like co-hosts and stuff. And I was like, well, relax, guys, just whatever, no big deal. And yeah. he was very, very harsh about that because it was serious to him. I, I didn't get that. So that sort of was an evolution for me. And then I fell under that same. Did you have sort get, of a like? It's it's uh, entertainment. What's the big deal? No, I'm like this television dude. What's yeah. Sorry. But <laughs> and uh, but I I started being the object of some of that scrutiny, right? And, and again, just to keep the peace, started playing along with, but realized he was probably right. Mm-hmm. And then, but then when he and I, <laughs> when he and I were down in, hold on a second, uh, hang on a second, I gotta answer my wife who's texting me. Oh no problem. We will leave at about six forty-five. Where are you guys going? A premiere. Oh, that's fancy. Can I tell you about it? Yeah. Jeremy London. Remember Jeremy London? Yes. Who I treated in Slippery Ramp. I sure do. apparently doing very well. He called me the other day. His brother, not doing well, Jason was no, in No, I just saw his photo all over. Yeah. Um, he produced and wrote a movie. And Eric Roberts is in it. Oh, wow. He's also apparently doing yeah. well. And he invited me to the premiere. I thought, well, I'd love to support that. So we're going to try to do that tonight. Uh, let me say I'm podcasting for the next hour. Uh-oh. You may have to cut this out. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's still. I mean, no, no. This is this is great. No, it isn't. This great. is great pod. It is not great. Pod. I think it's, it's wonderful. Pod. Gary, can you I imagine think what Adam would this? do? Can you imagine what Adam would do if I did? Yeah. No, this is good. This is behind the scenes. This is a this is a candid look at okay. Drew texting. Okay. So let's leave dinner at five thirty. How about that? I think that sounds great. Oh. Where are we going? <laughs> what do you guys think? Are you buying? Oh, you come. So, so there's. A, let me get to that memory. I, look, I'm on the air, on the air now. Uh, a memory I have. We went down to Panama City, Florida, to film a couple episodes of the uh, MTV Loveline show. Mm-hmm. So it must have been '97 now, maybe even '98. And um, I remember. This is just a sidebar about that. One of the guys we were going to interview on the beach in a big stadium that they built for Loveline was Mike Myers, right? Mike, Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike Myers. And um, and I remember they're going. He's got a new movie. He's got a new movie. It's it's kind of a 007 film. It's about a it's about a spy that's a groovy throwback to the <laughs> '60s, and he drives like a Jaguar with the British flag on it. And we're like. What the fuck are you talking? We like we could not figure out what yeah. they were describing to us. We just we never got it. We could not figure out what the hell they're talking about. And anyway, Mike Myers was there. He was on Love Line, um, and we were down there <laughs> in a bathroom urinating next to one another. Mm-hmm. Of course, as like, that's you, what you guys do. Well, oh you, yeah, he and I do, do that all the time. All, too. Yeah. We don't, but he does not let the fact that I'm in the hallway stop him from peeing with the door wide open. <laughs> Every now, like I, I haven't seen anything yet, but, and I don't want to. But every now and then, I'm like, oh, "Hello." He has a whole thing about shutting the bathroom doors. I've seen the video. You, you haven't seen oh, the right. video? Oh, yes. No, I have. Got, yeah, I pay yeah. attention. Yeah, but that's leave the bathroom door open when you're done, not well, when you're in nah, there. Well, he, <laughs> yeah, he generalizes. Saving, yeah, you're right. Just saving a couple <laughs> steps. <laughs> so, right. It's very Cut efficient. It. Very efficient. <laughs> so anyway, we were talking about we were having. You know, we he is interested in psychology. We ever talks about that. He's standing there. He had a couple drinks. And he stands there and goes, uh, I don't really have feelings. And, and I go, I go, no, I, of course you do. I, I know you do. And he goes, no, no, I'm a robot. I don't care about anything. I don't care about anybody. I am just a robot. And you better know that about me. And I thought, wow. I sure as fuck hope you're distorting this. Were you like, I, this is a sociopath? Well, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah. I thought, what is this? Right. And I don't know still this day. I've been giving him shit about it over the years. I don't know quite what he really meant because he is not. 
Those are the robots in there. Those, he's turned those <laughs> yeah. people into robots. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but Tong. in certain moments, he can be like that, mm-hmm. where he almost is without emotion. He's right. cold-blooded in his thinking. Um, so I think that's what he was talking about. So, and and then and strangely enough, you know, he's for years would yell at me about what an, I'm a narcissist. I'm a narcissist. That's what I'm a narcissist. Oh, and he th- thought he was. Yes, and he, and then he talked about being in a group therapy for a while. He had lots of therapy, right? And he had a group therapy where he was really making progress. And one day after, I think a couple of years with this one group, he just left it, decided mm. to leave. And it freaked out the the leader and it freaked out the group. And they needed him back. And they were trying to convince him he had some unfinished business to do. Well, he wouldn't hear anybody has gone. So clearly he was getting into some real territory. Right. We're finally going to make some change. And, uh, and he and I had discussed over the years that maybe there was sort of a partial treatment of his narcissism. Then I did an LA Times Magazine interview about him when he was on morning radio. Mm-hmm. And I started with, well, you know, he's a, he's a partially treated narcissist. And they opened the article with that. He was offended and furious. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But, and uh, he goes, I never said I was a narcissist. I go, yeah, for years you used to yeah. yell. I wouldn't like, say that. Uh, anyway. The thing I've said is about the Asperger's. I said that. He didn't say that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that he was so offended by that. Isn't that weird? Yeah, because I thought that he kind of... He declares that. that. No, declares yeah, that. Right. Well, I'm, I'm here's not sure the thing, that's though. that true. I mean, he has narcissistic tendencies in certain circumstances, but actually, he, a lot of times he's not. He uses narcissists pretty loosely. Like everyone yeah. is a quote wild crazed narcissist, uh, entitled, etc. Maybe that's it. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, what is the definition of narcissism, and what 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 is behind your interest in narcissism? I'm thinking What's about your my book. interest in it. Yeah, well, like my like interest what drives in it your interest. Is, yeah. um, Multifold. Uh, one is it's the growing trend of the sort of general category that people's character structures and pathologies fall into. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these traumas and things we talk about that are so common in the world now are narcissistic injuries that result in narcissistic pathologies. My therapist had a real interest in narcissism. She told me once, she goes, you know, all I'd see now, she told me this, she goes, all I see now is people with narcissism or people more more than with people struggling to deal with people mm-hmm. with narcissism. That's all she's dealing with all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of the problem. I, I get interested in the problems of our time. Right. Addiction is a problem of our time. HIV, problem of our time. Narcissistic injury, problem of our time. And And so – what really is the definition of it? Oh, we should pull it out. We should get the DSM-5. The DSM. Yeah, we should okay. pull it out because it's a set of criteria. I mean really it, it's fundamentally a deep emptiness and longing with a strategy to uh, avoid that and avoid feelings and use the world and other people to keep ourselves pumped up and away from our feelings and mm-hmm. feeling good about ourselves. Basically, it's a way of describing it. And- so people – narcissists fundamentally have a deep – emptiness and lack of worth mm-hmm. that's sort of compensated for by an potentially an inflated worth that's acquired through what they get from the world. Right. And were there narcissists close to you? Uh, yeah. I went down with narcissistic stuff. I think he was all those injuries he had from – he was a nice guy, great guy, excellent doctor, but I think he had narcissistic liabilities for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Gary? As indicated by five or more of the following. Yeah, what are the five? Has a grandia – well, there's eight, there's nine, so it's this, five. This is, this you have is, to, now, mind you, this is narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And so you can extrapolate you know, narcissism otherwise is related to this. So go ahead. All right, five so you have, to, you have to five qualify for five of the nine. Yeah. Has a grandiose sense of self-importance, is preoccupied with fantasies of a limited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love – Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood or should associate with other special or high-status people or institutions. Requires excessive admiration. Has a sense of entitlement. 
is interpersonally exploitative, uh, lacks empathy, is often envious of others or believes others are envious of him or her, or shows arrogant, uh, haughty behavior or attitudes. That's the, everyone I know. I know. And the biggest, the biggest liability is the empathic failure. Mm-hmm. That's where it becomes kind of dangerous and problematic. Right. They, they block, feelings. I always think of narcissists as feelings don't matter. Whenever somebody says, like, like Dr. Phil, like, why don't you just get your shit together? Just right. get it together. Just get real. Yeah, feelings don't matter. And you and I have talked about how we operate in a messy world of mm-hmm. feelings and that mm-hmm. all it changes how you operate. See, because there are people that you can pinpoint to and say, like, oh, that person is so self-absorbed. They only care about themselves. But that's is... different than narcissism because people that are in pain are self-absorbed. I mean, think right. about it. If you have an injury sometime, you're in pain, yeah. you're thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. And when the pain seems big, you kind of, like, project it out. Yeah. And so when people are in pain, injured, whatever reason, depression, whatever, right. it makes you self-absorbed. Mm-hmm. So I, I separate that from narcissism. Why do you think narcissism is on the rise? <laughs> The shitty families and the shitty injuries and you know lack of empathy if you don't and lack of attunement and, and time with children and things mm-hmm. so we we have to grow literally grow the brain connections between our consciousness and our feeling states that's a wiring issue and that was a wiring phenomenon I'm writing a book about this that occurs in a co-created experience with other people mm-hmm. mom and dad um, I remember when I had heard that you said that Adam was. Um partially treated is that how you put yeah, it yeah uh narcissist i was surprised because i didn't know that narcissism can be treated oh i didn't say it i didn't say he had a narcissistic personality disorder okay because that in theoretically personality disorders theoretically can't be treated but you say narcissism traits can be treated okay. i think now you're, you say theoretically do you not agree with that or i have hope for almost everybody but theoretically if it's a fixed personality because what's fixed in the real personality disorder is I don't have a problem. The world has the problem, and I refuse to look at it any other way. Mm-hmm. So you can't treat that. Right. Um, now, now, what gets through that, and the reason I have hope is I see it all the time in drug addiction. When people maintain that attitude until they nearly die, then they magically become willing to change. Mm-hmm. So I see it change in addiction all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, were in there addicts? That is, were there addicts in your life? No, no. That's just, it's just that story I told you. It's just an accident. But but I'm overly interested in people, like like not healthily. Like I, the human experience and people, it's just I, I'm put all that ahead of everything before I experience myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm deeply focused out in the human world. And so naturally enough, this, this addiction thing is fascinating. How, you know, fundamentally, it's a broken motivation system. Typically, I mean, humans, their motivation system is their survival drive. That's the basic of motivation. And then all this other stuff, the emotions, the body, the thinking, the reasoning, all that stuff is to serve the motivation of survival. Well, imagine that basic basic motivation becomes skewed. So all this other wonderful stuff we've got in our higher centers starts serving the broken motivation. Thoughts, feeling, logic, relationships all serve a broken master. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating when that happens. Do you think you have to be broken to become an addict? No. You just have the gene. Just need the gene. So you think it's an uh, – I don't think it is. It's just the fact. That it is bio- I've treated 10,000 drug addicts and I have five where I couldn't see a specific genetic link. Wow. So given that – And by the way, we even know what the genes are. There's an – the, a single amino acid substitution, the GABA-A receptor, confers about a 60 percent liability. The LL allele, the serotonin transporter, 60-ish percent liability. Both those genes, 100 percent, no matter what environment you're raised in. And that – wow. I did not 
And we have other. No, gene I'm can- not up on the medical. And, and journals. we have many other medical uh, other gene candidates too. That wow, so, that it's probably going to be a twenty or so genes that really accumulate. That to- and that makes you have an addictive personality, nope. or Li- what is it? The genetic liability for addiction. Many different personalities, right? Get addiction, right? There's no such thing as addictive personality. There's right. addictive biological tendency, the reward system disorder. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is that that doesn't. Knowing this stuff doesn't give any um, indication of what kind of addiction, right? It just no. means that you are more susceptible to forming yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any of that in you? No, nope. I don't think so. Doesn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm almost jealous of my patients because I, I get like dysphoric experiences from things. Can't drink very much. I throw up. <laughs> Whenever I've taken opiates in the past, I hate how I feel. Mm-hmm. If I ever need them, that scares me. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. Being so uh, anxiety medicine, I like a little bit. I feel like, like what Xanax. Like, well, yeah, you like that too. Um, you know what? I, my my everyone in my family was taking Xanax, <laughs> and uh, I decide I forget why. I think it was oh, I had I had surgery um, a little over a year ago, and I was having trouble sleeping after it. So I started taking. A little bit of Xanax, and at the beginning, I really liked it. I was like, "Oh wow, this is pretty incredible!" And it'll it helps me go to sleep. And then, instead of taking a whole pill, I was just taking a half. And there was one night where I was just like so itchy. And oh, you're coming off it. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't know, but like I could my legs. I couldn't stop. I kept Rest, wanting to move restless them. Restless leg. Yeah, and you it, had it from the drug or coming off the drug? You had it from both. I thought it was from the, it drug, could be from the drug, so I stopped. Yeah, it's called because restless it was leg so syndrome. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. So you got to yeah. have that. I, I have side effects from everything yeah. myself, and the only reason I, I'm kidding about the benzodiazepines is I, I had one really vivid experience. I had a hernia operation as I was being carted off. They gave me a bunch of Versed, mm-hmm. and I was being carted off. I'm going to the hall thinking. Oh my God! This must be what a normal person feels like. <laughs> this was like to have to be awake and not have anxiety. I, I've never experienced this before. Yeah, Isn't that funny. Wow. Um, so being so well, wait, do you consider yourself codependent? Oh, severe. You can. That's that whole external focus. I'm yeah. Severe, where does severe. and and where does that come from? Oh, my parents. Yeah, it may, maybe from that injury, that whole ambulance story I told mm-hmm. you. Maybe that made me focus on them to try to take care of them so that doesn't happen again. Whatever I was always, and it probably gratified their narcissistic stuff, so they fed into it. Right. Okay. This is a, a unhealthy question that I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> um, so I've been reading this book. It's called The Language of Letting Go, mm. and it is by the woman who wrote Codependent No More. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you know it? Beatty. It's, yeah. Do you know the book, Language of Letting Go, though? It's like these little um, medit- codependent meditations. I didn't know it, but okay. I get yeah, it. Yeah. So I, I've been trying to read it in the morning, uh, you know. Uh, so I was reading it, and there's this thing about people pleasers. And it yeah. was saying that, like, have you ever been around a people pleaser? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I imagine that, you know, it's it would be spoken. Um, you know, being around people pleasers can be exhausting, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. However... Sitting here, because I, I consider myself pretty codependent as well, I imagine that it's probably pretty delightful to be around you and me as opposed to exhausting because we just want to make other people happy and we'll do what they want and we're really flexible. But imagine you and I being married. We would drive each other crazy. Oh, See? Well, a little bit. That's what See? my relationship is, <laughs> because we both. <laughs> See, I, I, neither one of us will be like this. Is how it has to be. Yeah, it's too. It's th- that gets a little bit. I, I could see how it would be exhausting a yeah. little bit. And there's a lot of like because, – Because here's the real deal. I, I used to be a severe people pleaser. I'm not so much that anymore because that's a narcissistic thing. 
because really you're pleasing other I worry people about that. for me. Mm-hmm. The ultimate is really still about the person. And, and underneath all that is – and this is what I had to work on deeply – is there is a – I'm trying to think of the language for this – a lack of clarity or maybe even a confusion on a, almost a visceral level on my feelings if I'm using myself as the patient mm-hmm. and yours. Yeah. That that my that if I see you in pain, it it mobilizes mine. Although I experience it as yours, I have to make it stop in you because it becomes intolerable. In yes, me. it's so threatening. It's but it's my pain. Yeah, you're right. This it's, is bad. <laughs> it's not good for you. Yeah, it's not good for you. And, right. and it's a very subtle, very deep no, thing to try to get your head around. I know that's that's really been a goal for me is to be like I am in a room. There's someone who's in a bad mood in this room because I can – I mean it's like – Radar. I, oh, yeah. yeah. I can't not – like I feel it mm-hmm. and it's which, okay. which is a great strength, right? You can be a radar and you can you can antenna and pick yeah. people. I mean, it frustrates me that other people don't. Like how can you be so I, blind to I, this? I know. It's but, a temperature. But, but here's where the empathy comes in and not just the codependency is now you go – you put a boundary down and go, oh, I can appreciate that other people's having an intense – I can even f- touch it and feel it, but it's theirs. And and I can I can reflect back to them. I use your face to reflect back. It helps set a boundary. Like put an expression that's a, that reflects understanding of their feeling state. Ooh, this is the Dr. Drew compassionate face. Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's the, the sad face. Yeah, yeah, it's the sad I'm face. I'm doing it. And, mm, and it's mm. <laughs> and it's it sets a boundary and it signals to their right brain, their non-logic, non-language brain, understanding and connection. Right. And it's deeply effective. It's profoundly effective. Mm, hmm, I'm going to do that, but thank but, you. But make sure it's a spontaneous reflection, not not a not a self not a conscious s- thought out. What would this feeling look like? Oh, God, try to just right. Reflect so don't do the that. face in air quotes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But well, except oh yes, yes. But I have the thing where like I'm in a room, someone's in a bad mood in this room or work environment, and I'm so, not even talking to them, and I am in I like, wonder if we're going to drive people crazy with this podca- our podcast together, if we'll be irritating or well-received. Hey, you guys. It's me again, Allison. Don't forget to download part two of my interview with Dr. Drew on Thursday. I love you. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show?